Good morning, church. God is good. And all the time? Good. I wish God were a little warmer this morning. It's kind of cold. Still getting used to this cold weather a little bit. I was hoping for a little snow this morning since the forecast was showing snow a couple days ago in Calamesa. So I was kind of excited about that, and then I saw it changed to rain, so I was a little disappointed about that. So anyways, hopefully we'll get some snow sometime here in the next few days, but uh, we will find out. Well, if you were here last Sabbath, uh, you heard me say, as, uh, as Chris reminded you today, that, that uh, absolutely no Christmas music before Thanksgiving, right? Now, I, I talked a little bit last week how we were just steamrolling over Thanksgiving. So once the day after Thanksgiving hit, we started listening to Christmas music in our house. It's all right. Okay. So uh, and we are starting actually our Christmas season here in Cala Mesa. We're starting a three-week series on Advent, on the coming of Christ. And uh, so I love, don't get me wrong, I love Christmas. I, uh, Christmas was my favorite holiday growing up as a kid, and you can probably figure out why, right? Uh, get the wonderful toys you're hoping for. And I remember one Christmas specifically. Um, growing up, I was a Trekkie. Any Trekkies here? Uh, Got a couple, got a few. Um, I haven't kept up with it much over the, over the years, but when I was a kid, loved watching Star Trek. And I had all the things, you know, I had, I actually had the blueprints for the Starship Enterprise, you know, yes, that's right. Um, loved looking at those and all of that. And then they came out with the action figures. And there was one Christmas I had asked for Captain Kirk. And I was hoping. And uh, mom, I don't know if you ever knew this or not, but I snuck out. <laughs> when everybody was sleeping, I got out of my bed and I snuck out there and I was so hoping I would see Captain Kirk. And there sticking out of my stocking was Captain Kirk. And I was so excited that as I walked back down the hallway, I couldn't control myself. And I, <laughs> I'm not gonna say the words, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> which left a mark in the carpet. So they knew I'd been up earlier when nobody else was up earlier. But I don't get excited like that anymore, so you can be happy about that. Um, at least not yet. It may happen later in life, I don't know, but I hope it doesn't happen that way again. But love, love Christmas. And actually, I remember a Christmas we ended up uh, adopting a reg- refugee family and uh, stayed connected with them for quite a while. And that's probably one of the biggest memories I have of Christmas. So thank you for that, that memory. Uh, Mom, I appreciate that very, very much. But as we think about Christmas and we think about the coming of Christ, the coming of our Savior, Jesus, it's so awesome to remember that he came for us. But yet, if you're like me, and as I've connected with many of you over the years and with others who walk the face of this earth, Christmas is a happy time, but it's also kind of a time where we yearn and we ache for Christ to come back again, don't we? We rejoice that he came, but but Jesus, when are you coming back again? Please come quickly. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We're tired of all the suffering and all the pain and the evil that we experience and see in this world. I had the blessing of having an eighth grade teacher at San Gabriel Academy who every morning for worship for the whole year read us the Chronicles of Narnia. And I loved hearing the story, and, and I've actually, just for fun, been going back and rereading them, and just being lost in the wonder again of, of just amazing of how C.S. Lewis wrote those stories for kids. 
But when you read that first one, you'll remember this phrase, those of you who are C.S. Lewis fans, how he described Narnia before Aslan did what he did to put things back to right. Do you remember? It was always winter and never Christmas. Always winter and never Christmas. And sometimes, even we as Christians, we can be going about in our world today, and yes, I believe Jesus saved me, I believe he's coming back, but it always feels like winter and never Christmas. Come, Lord Jesus, come, come. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 90, verse 13, Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants? The message translation says it this way, Come back, God, how long do we have to wait? And Psalm 94 says, O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exalt? You feel that yearning. Do you feel that way? I, I feel that way sometimes. God, how long? I can remember my kids a few years ago driving home from school. We were looking at the sun, sunset. And, you know, sometimes you see those sunsets. You're like, oh, it almost looks like Jesus could come through those clouds right now. Can you imagine, you know, the angels? And I remember my daughter going, oh, I wish he would come back today. And you could hear the ache in her voice. I thought, I do too, honey. I wish he would come back today. But it's going to be soon. It's going to be sometime. But I remember, I remember... A little over 10 years ago, I had a dream. And you know, sometimes we have dreams, and, and you have the dream, and, and you wake up, and you're like, whew, I'm glad that was a dream, right? And then sometimes you have a dream, and you're like, oh, man, it was a dream. I wish that was reality. And I had a dream one time, and I was dreaming that I was back in the neighborhood that I grew up in as a child. And I was hanging out with my friends and family, and we were, we were on this street that, that was important to me as a kid. It was where the park was. It's where all the activity was. And and I was on the street there with these people, and all of a sudden, the earth started quaking, the clouds started opening up, and out of the clouds came the angels and Jesus coming back. And I remember, like, I started lifting off the ground. My arms were in the air, and I was like, yes, it's finally happening. And then I woke up. <laughs> and it was like, oh, man, I was thinking that was the real thing. It sure felt like it. And I just remember being so disappointed, like that morning going, oh, man, if that's even close to what it's going to be like, I can't imagine how good it's going to be. But then the ache and the yearning for it to happen after having that dream. But you know, one of my other favorite sayings in the Chronicles of Narnia is this, Aslan is on the move. Aslan is on the move. Now, if you're not familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is the lion and the Christ figure in the story. And even though it's been always winter and never Christmas, this, that one of the characters tells the kids, Aslan is on the move. In fact, one of the char characters tells the, the children this. He says, he'll put all to rights, as it says in an old rhyme in these parts. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. And when he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Aslan is on the move. When we look at the book of Matthew, and I'm going to encourage you this morning to actually take out your Bibles and or the Bible in the pew. I actually told the projection person today not to put it up on the screen because I just want to look at this. We're going to go old school, they call it a little bit today. And look at the first uh, chapter, uh, half of chapter two, a little bit here, um, and remind ourselves of the mystery of Christmas and how Jesus came and how Aslan was on the move. The very first chapter of Matthew, Matthew begins with this genealogy. 
You know, if any of you have tried to read the New Testament or the Bible and you said, I'm going to start with the New Testament, then you open up Matthew and you're like, oh, is this what the Bible's going to be like? Abraham fathered Isaac and Isaac fathered Jacob and Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers and da 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 da, da And you're like, oh my goodness, this is boring. Uh, I'm, I'm going to fall asleep before I finish chapter one. But what we see here is an incredible thing. We see Aslan on the move. We see God on the move. Because what Matthew does here, and one scholar reminded me of this as I was studying this week, they said, what we have here is a, like a parade. And you have God showing his people, look, I've been on the move way back to Abraham and actually before that, but all through this history and tied into the reign of King David. And what I love, you know, my favorite people in this, in this uh, whole uh, genealogy is three women, Tamar, Rahab, and Uriah's wife. You know why? Because it shows that Jesus comes and he is saving us by his grace. That no matter how bad we blow it, no matter how bad things get messed up, Aslan is on the move. God is coming. And so because of his grace and because of his doing, he's coming. At the end of this parade, there is the Messiah. This is the one it's all about. It's about Jesus. It's the Savior of the world coming. And we have 14 generations here and 14 generations there and 14 generations. All this coming to the number seven, seven being the number of perfection and completeness of God's work. This is what it's all about here, he's saying to his people, the Messiah. And so then Matthew tells the story from Joseph's point of view, God interacting with Joseph, and Luke talks about God interacting with Mary. And so in verse 18, halfway through, um, it says, actually, I'll start at verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph. It was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It's what God does to save the world. It's what God's up to. And so her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which translated, God is with us. God is on the move. He would be coming. After 400 years approximately of no prophecy from God, no word from God to his people, he's reminding us he is up to something. He's coming. He will be here to save his people. In chapter 2, we have the story of the wise men, the magi, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people, Israel. I always got a kick out of this, you know, Herod trying to fool the wise men. Think about that for a second. The wise men come to you and you think you can pull one over on them. Not so much. That's why they're called wise men, right? <laughs> but these wise men, you know, it's interesting. Some scholars believe, you know, we don't know exactly the, the exact year that Jesus was born. Uh, it gets kind of messy there, you know, B.C. and uh, just before 
AD and so forth. But, but scholars know, we know that in 7 BC, Jupiter and Saturn were in conjunction three times that year. Now, Jupiter is considered the planet of royalty, and Saturn oftentimes is associated with Jews. So it's very possible that as these magi and these astronomers and astrologers, they were the same in one thing at that point in time, that as they looked up into the heavens, they saw this planet that represented the Jews and one that represented royalty, saying, God is up to something. God is up to something in this world. He's doing something, and it's showing it in the heavens. Royalty and the Jews, something is happening, and so they went. Aslan was on the move. God was determined to come and save his people. And so we see in John chapter 1, verse 14, I love one of my favorite verses in Scripture. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. But I love how the message translates it. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous, inside and out, true from start to finish. Soon, there would be Christmas. It wouldn't always be winter. Soon, there will be Christmas. The Christ child had come, and Jesus came, and he lived his life. The kingdom of God is near you. Enter in. And he died, king of the Jews, a crown of thorns, and a cross for his throne. And he rose again, and he ascended, promising he would come back again. You see, part of, us for, part of it for us as Christians, we praise God that he came, that we're saved from our sins, and there's forgiveness, and there's new life. But Lord, how long until you take us out of this? How long? Come, Lord Jesus, Come. But our master has promised that he would return for us. Do you remember these words also from the book of John? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my father's house are many mansions, many rooms. You can tell I'm old King James Version. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Do you hear that this morning, church? That's a promise for you. It's a promise for me. It's a promise for the world. And we're told all through Scripture that Jesus is coming back again, that he's making all things new. As we look at Romans chapter 8, we see all of creation is even aching and crying out for things to be made right again. And we're told at the end of chapter 8 that nothing, nothing, can separate us from the love of God. Just as he came the first time, he's coming back again. As I was pondering the sermon this week, I was thinking about that old prophecy in Daniel chapter 2. And it might sound kind of strange talking about this at Christmas time, but to me this is very much a reminder of what God is up to, that God is on the move, that he, he is still working and he is coming back for us. Do you remember that, that old uh, vision that Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel chapter 2? that Daniel told him about. In verse 34 and 35, he talks about following up. You know, you had the golden image, right? The gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the clay, representing the different kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. But then there's that stone, there's that rock that came, not carved by any hands. 
And verse 34 says, while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It, it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, and the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at that same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. And the wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. In verse 44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people who will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountains, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The kingdom is coming, church. And though we ache, and though we long for it to come, and though we experience so much hardship, so much pain, so much suffering in our own homes and in the workplace and in this world, the king is coming. The rock that is not carved by human hands will rule forever, and we get to be in his kingdom now and forevermore. Let me share one more passage with, with you. And, and unfortunately, this is often, most of the time, only shared at funerals. But let us revisit this in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 52. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That day is coming. No matter how long it feels, Christ is coming again. Growing up, I loved this painting by Harry Anderson. I loved it, and I still love it. But it's going to be even more amazing than that. Beyond what we can even understand, Christ is coming. He has come, and he's coming again. Dr. John Webster, dean of the school of, uh, dean of HMS Richards Divinity School, said this, an Adventist is one who seeks to live life in light of the Advent. An Adventist is one who seeks to live life in light of the coming of God. His first coming has affected us, and so we live our lives a certain way, but his second coming affects us as well. And so we live with anticipation. We live knowing he's coming, basing our life based on what he has said and has promised that he's coming again, and the prophecies that this Bible tells us that he is coming again. I want to share with you a story a story about a man named Judson who um, had a brother named Wesley who fought in Vietnam. He was much younger than his brother, and um, Wesley was probably his father's favorite son. Wesley died in Vietnam, and, and as a young boy, Judson knew that he just never quite measured up to Wesley. <clears throat> well... Judson is now an adult, and he's got children and, and a home. His father, let me back up, his mother had passed away. His father was still alive, but he was old and not really with it, we should say. He was in a home uh, out of state from where Judson lived. Judson got the phone call from his sister, who lived in the state where his father was, and, and said, 
You need to come if you're going to come because he's probably not going to last much longer. Judson thought about it and he said, well, if I go, is he even going to know I'm there? When I've gone to visit him, you know, a few times a year, he just kind of sits there and nods and, and keeps calling me Wesley. I'm not sure I'm, I'm up for that. Well, Judson's wife said, you need to go. You just need to go. Go see your father before he dies. So he got, went down to the airport and he decided to um, sit there and be on standby. He waited for three flights to go by until he finally got a flight, made it out there in the evening, Christmas Eve. It was stormy, it was raining, it was cold. Instead of calling his sister to pick him up, which was about 50 miles away, he decided to get a rental car. And so he got a car and began to drive to his destination. As he was driving, there was a figure that jumped out in the road, so he swerved, stopped, looked over, and it was a 14-year-old girl. He says, what on earth? Are you trying to get yourself killed? He says, no, but I need a ride. Can you give me a ride? I'm going to this certain town, and if you can give me a ride, I would appreciate that. So she got in the car. She got in the car, and then all of a sudden, um, she felt this pressure on, he felt this pressure on his shoulder, like she had a gun. And she said, look, I just want money. What money do you have? I, I won't kill you if you give me your money. He says, well, I've got a couple hundred dollars in my wallet. I've got some credit cards. Um, I've got a watch that's worth maybe $100 and my wedding ring. She goes, all right, just give it to me all. He realized somehow in looking at the rearview mirror or something, he realized that the gun was not real. It's a fake gun. So he just said, well, you know, the credit cards aren't going to be much help to you. I'm going to report them as stolen, and they're going to eventually keep tracking you down. He says, but... And my watch, I mean, you can have it, but can I keep my wedding ring? You know, he started kind of getting a little more risky with her. <laughs> and they kept going on with the conversation. And then finally, uh, he pulled over and he got out of the car and he just started walking away. She goes, what are you doing? She goes, I'm going to shoot you. He said, no, you're not going to do that. You're not that dumb. You need me to drive the car. And then she said these words. That's not what my father thinks. He thinks I'm dumb found out she was pregnant and had run away from home. Got back in the car and they started talking. They started talking about fathers. He said, you know, my father, my father's dying. That's actually who I'm on the way to see. And I know that I wasn't his favorite. Wesley was his favorite. But I'm going to see him. And he said, you know, when I was little, I had a part in a school play. I was going to sing a solo there's a song in the air. And I was so excited about singing that solo, but my father wasn't going to go see me sing it. And so my mother said, why don't you sing it for him here? My father said, yeah, you really want to sing it for me? Just sing it to me here in the kitchen. And so he did. He began to sing. There's a song in the air in front of his father. As he was singing, he noticed his father building up with rage. And his father finally couldn't take it anymore, and he slammed his fist on the table, and he stood up, and he shook Judson. He says, it's not true. It's not true. How can you sing about angels? How can you sing about all this good stuff when the world's full of anger and evil and killing and crime and death? And then he turned to his wife, and he says, how can you believe in this song? How can you believe this? It's not true. How do you put up with this? And then the mother said to the father, the song is louder. The song is louder. Judson ran out 
ran out. It was snowing at that time, and he ran out, and he wanted to run away from home, and he kept running and running and running out into kind of the forest. They lived out in that type of area. And he says, I was so discouraged. I was so upset. I never wanted to see my father again. But he said, after a while, he says, I saw something, and it was a light. It was the greatest sight I'd ever seen, this light. And so I began walking towards the light, and it was my father. He'd come looking for me. I'll never forget that. He says, we never talked about it again, ever. But here now, as he drove up to his father, and he had this girl in the car, and he says, I'm going to go see my father. You stay here. I'll come back, and then I'll take you to where you want to go. He went in to see his father, and as he went in, his sister said, it's too late. He's passed. But he said something very interesting I didn't understand. He signaled for me to come down, and he whispered in my ear, his sister said, and this is what he said. He said, the song is louder. The song is louder. She goes, what do you think he meant by that? And he said, I know what it means. And he told his sister. And then he went out to the car to, to see the, the girl, and she'd already left. But he said this, if she was there, I would have told her the story of what my father had said. But I would have said, the song is not louder, it's stronger. Because sometimes the noise of the death around us and sometimes the noise of the pain and the suffering is louder, but the song of God saving the world is stronger. It's stronger. See, whatever happens in this life, whatever we see in this life, this is not the end. He's coming again, and he's making all things new again. So no matter how much we ache and we yearn for no more death, no more sorrow. And we know Jesus has come and he's making things right. Church, he's coming again. The second advent is on its way. Aslan is on his move. And God is good all the time. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you came and thank you that you're coming again. In this season of Christmas and Advent, we rejoice that you came as the Christ child but we also rejoice that you are coming. You are coming again as our King of kings and Lord of lords. For you yourself say, yes, I am coming quickly. And so we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Take a moment in silent prayer to talk to your Lord and your King, your Savior, who is coming again for you, for us, and for the world.